Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to share your word, but Lord, I know that there, that there are people here who are just across the map, Lord. And you have marriages that are thriving and marriages that are on the brink of divorce. You have children who are experiencing the joy of obedience to their parents and children who are in the throes of sin. You have people who are very healthy and people who are very ill. Lord, you have heartbreaks and you have hope. But Lord, wherever you find us, Lord, would you meet us at the point of our need? Would you help us to be broken before you? Would you help us to seek your face like never before? And Father, I do pray that you would do this in such a way that all of us would leave here on fire for you, having Jesus at the center of our lives and the overflow of that would be honoring, loving, serving, praying, sharing, seeking, glorifying Jesus. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, some of us have kids, and some of us, even if we don't have kids, we can remember when we were a kid one of the toughest things to keep a secret of for a kid, it's one of the toughest things, is good news. Isn't it? Isn't good news like the, just the toughest thing to keep a secret? And if you don't believe me, uh, my own experience in my own home, I remember, I, not I remember, I experienced this. I've actually stopped telling my kids good news because they can't hold it in. And so I just go, all right, we'll experience it when it happens. Um, it's like, okay, so it's my daughter's birthday, right? One of my daughter's birthdays. It's my son's birthday, right? And so my daughters will go and we'll go to the store and we'll buy a special thing for the birthday, right? And so we'll come back in and we're all playing it cool and everything is good. And you could see the girls, they're kind of, you know, fidgeting and they go, they go like this, they go like this. I know what you're going to get for Christmas. <laughs> And then they just hold it in, right? And then if you don't bite, they go, they go, you want a hint? <laughs> and so they do that, right? And so they just, you know why? They're busting out of their bodies just to share this good news. Because it's tough. It's tough to give, keep good news. God made us this way. This is a universal truth. It's not true just about kids. It's true about all of us. In fact, um, it's, it's, it's the person who, uh, it's the human condition, and it's the, the, the person, it's the guy who introduces his family to his future bride. Why does he do that? When he gets serious with somebody, you introduce him to the rest of hey, we're going to go and we're at you know, the party, I want to introduce you to my whole family. Why? Because this is going somewhere, this is good news, I can't hold it in. It's uh, the child who just for the first time, tastes Rocky Road and said, try this. Have you ever seen a kid not do that, right? Have you ever, like, you know, a kid goes, you know, tastes Rocky Road, eyes light up and goes, you've got to try this, right? Um, it's, it's the child, right? When you, when you have, a, I mean, again, adults or children, it's the child who comes home with a great report card, right? Can't wait, right? And, and, and you know, uh, compare that to the child without such a great report card, right? right? Child with a great report card comes home and goes, Mama, 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 the report card came in. Papa, the report card came. And the child who's not so good, the report card's not so good, they go, you know, two weeks have passed. And didn't you get a report card like two weeks ago? Nah, those people are disorganized. They're like dysfunctional. They don't talk about it. Why? Because bad news, not so much. Good news, you just bursts out of you. It's, it's the husband who comes home and goes, baby, you ain't going to believe it. I got the promotion. And it's like, yes, and we're going to be able to afford this and we're going to be able to do that and give more. And we're going to be able to be, you know, and it's just... Wow, why, why, doesn't, why does a million things happen to the guy at work? A million things. He comes home, he shares none of it. Gets a promotion. Like, Here, here's the reason why. 
Because good news can't be kept quiet. Good news desperately needs to be shared with others. It's when the doctor comes in, right? And he says, the cancer is undetectable. And, and, and you go home and you go, honey, you won't believe it. The cancer is undetectable. I can't believe, you know, the radiation treatment work, God, you know, we prayed and all this stuff happened. It's because good news can't be kept quiet. Conversely, well, it's just, I think you get what I'm saying. Good news, you can't keep quiet. Now, God knows this about us. God knows that within your heart and within my heart, there is a sense where we just want to share the good news, right? Um... You start losing weight and you start telling people, oh man, I lost 14 pounds. I saw a friend of mine yesterday. I said, you look great. You look like you've been... He goes, yeah, I lost 14 pounds. Why, why did he say that? Well, he said that because you just can't keep... God knows that about you and he knows that about me. He knows that, you know, <laughs> that we just celebrate that. It's why some of us go to places where people raise their hands and they say, 14 days. And we're like, oh my goodness, that's incredible. There's nothing like, what is that? 14, wow! Why do we do that? Because there's something in us that desperately wants to shout, to share, to say, we can't keep good news bottled up. Good news can't be kept quiet. And God knows this about us. And because he knows this, what God does is he gives us good news. You know, good news is exactly what gospel means. Gospel means good news. And God wants us to take in this good news, this celebratory news, this wonderful news, and he wants us to share it with others. He wants us to be his witness. Now, notice I didn't say that he wants us to advertise. Notice I didn't say that he wants us to solicit or, or get involved with propaganda. No, 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 no. He wants us to witness. You know what a witness does? A witness simply shares their experience. That's all. And God says, this news is so good that you can't keep it to yourself. It's better than Rocky Road. It's better... It's better than the doctor saying undetectable. It's better than an A on the exam. It's better than the promotion at the job. It's better than the weight that you just lost. It's even better than the days that you're counting. It's good news. Good news. And so today we're going to look at a story. We're going to kind of look at a story inside of a story, okay? It's like a story inside of a story and try to get some, some insights, principles, ideas that God wants to share with us about this wonderful gift that he's given us and giving us this good news. Now, this is going to hit some of us in different ways. Some of us, we just don't know the good news. In fact, Christ for us, we've either forgotten that it's good news or we just don't know. We haven't received Christ. And, and all I want to say to you is just listen up. Listen up. Just keep your ears open. And some of us, it's like, wow, this is good news. I want to share. And, you know, so this is going to hit people in different ways. Um, but we're going to read a story. And it's found in 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. Now, it's in your bulletin. If you do not have your Bible, it is in your bulletin. So if you open up your Bible, there's a bulletin. There's what we call a sermon map. That's where you get to write out uh, some of the points, make notes, uh, and also the scripture will be there. But um, before we go into witnessing, I want you to hear the story of life change. There's going to be somebody who comes up to this here microphone right there and is going to share their life-transforming story about how Jesus changed their lives. And so I want you to listen to that. Um, this person got baptized May 21st of this, uh, just a few weeks ago, really. And just, I'm just so blessed to see what God has done in his life. So with that, I want you to welcome Andrew to share his story. 
Good afternoon, family. Um, my name is Andrew, and I'm going to read my testimony as eyewitness Jesus in my life. Uh, growing up, I remember my mother taking me to church every Sunday and going to Sunday school. My confirmation was the end of my church experience. By doing this, I had a belief system in only God the Father. Even though I had learned about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, as I grew older, my values changed. I began stealing, lying, and using drugs. As my disease progressed, I did not think that I, had, that I believed in anything but the next high. My first encounter with my God was when I was 21 and sick and tired of my life. God gave me the willingness to find help, which I did. In May 1991, I went into rehab and completed the program. I came home but did not pursue a relationship with God. I found myself caught up in the drug lifestyle for many more years. Then on September 15, 2008, God gave me a second chance and a willingness to go to a 12-step program. After being in this 12-step program for some time, I learned to listen. I started to do the step work, which introduced me to the concept of the God of my understanding. This is not a relationship with Jesus Christ. A friend named Maureen told me about a church where the pastors were in recovery. This intrigued me. After a few invites, I finally took her up on our offer. After, at first, I was a bit overwhelmed with the music and the singing, but soon after, I was singing along with the worship team. I've been attending MBT for about two and a half years now. In November 2010, I was injured on the job and found myself out of work. My sponsor suggested that this is an opportunity to build spiritual muscle. So I called my spiritual sponsor, Pastor Edwin Cologne, and thus began a three-month series of meetings, readings, homework, and discussion. In doing so, I came to realize that I could not buy my way into heaven in acts or money. My ransom was already paid at the cross with Jesus. Two weeks before Easter, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And this is how I come to stand before you today. I have accepted Jesus in my heart, and I am reaping the rewards in my life. I know I have a long journey ahead of me, but I am happy to be traveling it with Jesus. These are just some of the rewards I mentioned. I am less judgmental. That alone is major in my life. I am not placing expectations on myself nor others. I am learning how to be loving and caring when I talk to people. I am learning to take care of myself. I have seen Jesus put people in my life that really care about me and not what I can do for them. I am learning about unconditional love, like the love Jesus has for me. I know that this is just the tip of the iceberg. The trials and tribulations are sure to come, but as long as I keep Jesus in the center of my life, he will see me through. Thank you. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Did you hear that part of Andrew's story when he said, I had a friend, Maureen, she invited me. Isn't that good? I had a friend, because this stuff you just don't, you don't pick up by osmosis. Like, somebody's got to invite you. I had a friend, Maureen, who invited me. She's right there. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's awesome. Great, great stuff. Great stuff. Now, Today we're going to read a story. Okay, so you know, I'm going to warn you off the top. You're going to go, what on earth does this have to do with witnessing? It's kind of one of those back road stories that you go, okay, really? Did we have to? Go? Yeah, it's going to be good for you. You're going to enjoy this. This is going to be good. But now, what I want you to do is I want you to, I have to give you sort of the backdrop. Because I was going to give you the whole text, but we'd be here till like 5 in the afternoon. And the only person who would enjoy that would be me. And so, um, I recognize that. So, um, 2 Kings chapter 7. Let me give you, let me give you the sort of the background, the background of what's going on. All right, so there's a, um, okay, so first, cities protected themselves a little bit, di um, uh, a little bit different than they did, uh, than they do now. Um, so what they would do is that they would, in order to protect themselves from oncoming uh, armies, is that they would erect walls around the city 
They would erect walls around the city. Now, this makes sense because this is a day before the flying age. And so, you know, if you're going to be able to get into a, a city, you're going to have to do it by foot, right? So they would erect these walls, and these walls were no joke. These walls were like 10 feet deep, 30 feet high. These were not, you know, you, th- th- there was no plastic, you know, no uh, uh, sheetrock to be found. This was really dense, really strong. It's meant to keep anything of that day out. Well, what happened was, is that there, the, there was this group of people called the Arameans. Arameans. This, this group of Arameans, they wanted to attack Israel. They wanted their land, they wanted their finances, they wanted their, ta- you know, they wanted to tax them, they wanted to do all that. So that's how kingdoms, you know, progressed. They, they did that. Okay, so the way they would do that is the city, if they saw, if you saw a huge army coming, what do you think the, the, the city that's under attack, what do you think they would do? Shut the gates, get behind the city walls, and that's the way you did this. This is how you, you know, you protected yourself. Well, here's what happened. Israel was under siege by the Arameans, so here's what they would do. The Arameans would, um, would come and they would, they would get enough food for like a half a year and they would stand outside they would stand outside of the kingdom uh, of the people that they were going to attack and that they would say this they would go we're not going to let anything come in or anything come out so what would happen the city with the, you know there's no indoor plumbing right and there's no refrigerators and there's no Kmart, and there's no, right, there's no anything of that, right? So you see, it's not like they could stay there for years with the supermarket, with refrigeration. What they have. So they would take all the animals, they would take them in and all that other stuff, and then they would say, and these guys would be waiting outside, just going, all right, you got, now, at this time of 2 Kings chapter 7, it's bad enough that they're under siege. Not only are they under siege, are you ready? There's a drought, there's a famine. There's a famine. Like, if things weren't bad enough with the war, there's a famine, right? So what happens is that all their... You know what happens when there's a drought in an agricultural society? Anybody know? Right? If water doesn't come, grass dies. Crops die. If crops... If grass doesn't grow, who doesn't eat? Animals. Sure. What happens to the animals if they don't eat? Anybody know? They die. Now, anybody know what happened to humans when the animals die? They die. If they're not around, they die. So, they're at the place. This is so bad. The things have gotten with with the drought and the siege, and it's a local drought, so they could have, if they weren't under siege, they could have gone somewhere and imported some stuff. They can't import some stuff. Things are way, way, way dark. It's so bad that the king says, why am I waiting for God to do something about this. He goes, go kill the prophet. It's like, wow. You know, it's like, you think you had a bad ministry day, right? And so, and so they go and they get this prophet, his name is Elijah, and they bring him in and listen to me. What happens when there's a scarcity of something? Anybody knows what happens when there's a scarcity of something? Prices go up. Prices go up. Isn't that true? So for instance, um, about six years ago, you could get uh, a gallon of uh, inexpensive gasoline for about $1.60, $1.70, right? Now, you're driving and you see $3.99, right? Gas, $3.99, you're like, woo that's a deal, boy. You go into an accident because $3.99 is like a super deal for, um, you know, some of y'all are like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I just wanted to get in shape, ride my bike. No, it's not. You just can't afford the gas. Me too. It's that bad. It's crazy. It's crazy. And so what happens is, is that everything went up. Inflation went up. So people were paying for a donkey's head. They were paying a premium for a donkey's head. Like, have you, I don't know about you. Have you ever seen a donkey and just go, mmm, dinner? Like, have you ever done that? Like, I don't know. I've never seen a donkey's head and said, mmm, can't wait. Mama, 
Tell me we're having donkey head for, for dinner, right? Like, has that ever been your story? That's not my story. I don't look at a donkey's head and say, mm-mm-mm, dinner. I look at a donkey's head and think certain people. And so, um, no, I'm kidding. Um, so, all right, that was bad. And so, um, so that's where we find our heroes. We find our heroes where the king said, listen, God doesn't care about us. We're under siege. We're under a drought. God doesn't care about us. Forget it. Bring Elijah. We're gonna... Elijah comes in and says, by this time tomorrow, by this time tomorrow, gas prices will be $1.50 and all of our woes would be solved. He actually says that the price for food will be just as it was when there was a bo- cheaper than it was when there was a bounty. Think about this. That means, he said that they'll be selling at the gate, Elisha says this. And so he says, they'll be selling the food at the gate, which means that the gate will be open, which means that they won't be under siege. God will have poured out all this food on them. The, the, the person who was next to the king, one of the, you know, one of the officials, he goes, he goes, listen, if God opened up all of heaven and he opened up a monsoon of blessing, there's no way that this could happen. Elijah, being a little spitfire prophet, he goes, oh, I forgot to tell you the rest of it, tough guy. Uh, not only will it happen, you're going to see it, but you're not going to have any part of it. You're going to see it, but you're not going to eat it. <laughs> it's like, whoa, talk about that's a strong thing to say, right? Well, it's at this point that we discover our story. Now, remember, this is really important. I need you to, now, remember, we're taking the long way around the barn, but this is going to be really good for you, okay? So now watch this. Verse 3. Second uh, Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. Look up at me. People with leprosy were the, the most vilified people in the community. It's just, there was nobody. It would be, okay, the only comparison, if you were a leper, you even had to advertise your brokenness and your disease and your, could you imagine that? Could you imagine, like, could you imagine, like, in the 80s, walking down the street, right? In the 80s, walking down the street, and if you see somebody walking towards you, you have to scream, HIV! HIV! Could you imagine how horrible you would feel if people wouldn't even feel comfortable walking on the same side of the block as you? That's why these lepers were outside of the gate. They weren't allowed inside the gate. Could you imagine how they felt? They were completely, completely uh, divorced from society. So that's who they were, and that's why they were outside of the gate. They said, let's finish up verse 3. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? Why stay here until we die? And here's their logic. This is how bad they're off. Verse 4. If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. But if they kill us, then we will die. Okay, you know, you know life is turned uh, turn for the worse when three of the four options is, and we will die. Right? It's like, you know, so let's go into the city. And what? Die? Oh, okay, here's another idea. Let's go and stay here. And what? Die? And then, you know, so let's go over there. Oh, you know, the genius of the group. You could just see him. He's the, he's the leper that went to Yale. Right? The, the leper goes, I know. Um, let's go into the enemy camp. If we go into the enemy camp and they feed us, at least we live. But if they don't, who cares? Because we die. Right, it's like no hope, right? This is a hopeless situation. And so they do that, and those are their options. And they go into uh, verse 5. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look! The king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents 
and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Look up at me. This is crazy. This is crazy. So, the Arameans come and they're laying siege. They're surrounding the city. That means there's tens of thousands of them. They're around the cities. They make a camp. They make a camp that has to endure an entire army for like four, six months, two years, depending on how the siege goes. It can last that long. So they bring it. So, and, you know, again, they're not bringing refrigerators. They're bringing livestock. They're bringing everything. They're not there. And the Bible tells us why. The Bible says... The Lord, the Lord put a sound in their ears that they confused for an attacking army. Now, we don't know what the Lord did. Honestly, we don't know if the Lord uh, created an earthquake. We don't know if the Lord um, made the sound of thunder, just it was a terrible thunder that made the sort of the, the earth shake. We don't, we don't know if the Lord led a bunch of horses who were grazing around that part of the town and just got scared maybe by a sound and all started running in the same direction. We don't know how the Lord did this miracle. We know that he did it. We know that he did it because it's in history and, it, I mean, we read it in the Word. So these guys, these lepers, they're coming and they're sheepishly coming and they're like, oh gosh, don't kill us. You know, kill the guy from Yale. He's the one who told us to get here, you know. And so they're kind of scared. And verse 8, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. So you see what's happening. Nobody has eaten anything for a long time. Everybody's starving. They come in and nobody's around. Nobody's around. And they go and they go, You're kidding me! So there's, right, there's, there's ch you know, chalupas and there's tacos and there's rice and beans and then there's deep fried and southern fried and there's apple pie and there's, there's this good, you know, man, there's just the best food you've ever seen because these guys aren't starving because they brought the food with them. And so they come in and they're like, oh man, Harry, can you believe this? And so what do they do? They go, they eat and then they go, because this is not just food. They got the bling is all left out, right? So they got jewelry and stuff like that. And they got clothes. What do they do? They take the clothes, they take the jewelry, they take it, and they, they bury it. And then they go, you know, they go, I'm ready for round two. They go into another tent and they go, oh, Harry, I can't eat another thing. You know, and they're like, ha ha. And they start eating some more. And then they go, you know, watch out, that's Chinese food. You'll just be hungry in a few minutes. And they laugh. And then, you know, and they start eating some more. And so it's this incredible feast. They can't take it. They're just, and they bring it out and they do this. Now, when did they get there? They got there at dusk. They got there at dusk, which means that, you know, the sun was just going down. They do this all night. All night. Now, I want to pause here because some of you are going, okay, exactly what does this have to do with anything? It has a lot to do with a lot. See, because for us, and I don't care if you think that you were the best person, a very moral person, for all of us, we were at one point in our lives outside the gates. And all of our options, we had three or four options in our lives and they were all bad. And somebody, as we were suffering, in a, and, and for some of us it was real suffering, you know, right? right? Like our, 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 our lives were just tanking. Some of us were homeless. Others of us were caught up in addictions. Others, our, our, our families were falling apart. Others, our marriage was having a real storm. And, and we found ourselves, and it was like, well, if we continue going on this way, disaster. And if we, continue, if we go back, disaster. And if we stay, disaster. It's just a disaster wherever we go. And somebody, somebody walked by you. I don't know who it was. You know. And said, Hey, let's, let's go to church. Like, like Maureen did with Andrew. Hey, you know, it, I don't know. What are you doing on Sunday? Why don't you come to church with me? And we go. And we go. 
And, and, and this is exactly what happened to me. I was desperate and in pain. And in my particular case, I was neither accepted by the rest of the society because of the kind of lifestyle that I was living. It was just really horrible and painful. And I hurt myself and did all that stuff. And so it wasn't, maybe it wasn't exactly in the first moment that I stepped in the door, but throughout time as I kept coming to church, I started, the, the Lord just changed my heart. And there was a feast there. And there was joy. And there was Christ. And He was my, He became my all in all. Just like some of you have experienced. Isn't it true? Some of you have experienced that very same thing. You come in, and then we go like this. Oh man, this is like the greatest thing that I ever found. This is like so amazing. I was like, man, you know what? That sermon was for me. Oh man, that was like the best sermon, man. So I'm just like, I'm going to make my notes. And, and then they sing a song, and you're just like, oh God, I can't take it anymore. It's just emotional. And, and it's amazing. And then you come back next week, and you just go, and it's like, And you stay and you hide this precious gift. And you got more Bibles than you can possibly read. And you got, you're listening to your Christian music and everything is going just fine. And and there's a city. There's this terrible city in terrible situations. And you're like, oh man, but this is the best. I can't believe it. And you do your devotionals and you read and you just go, it's like, you have this incredible good news. And it's just satisfied. You're satisfied. Being quiet about it. These guys, their, their satisfaction lasted a night. Here's my fear. NBT, here's my fear. Fear is that this will be you. My fear is that you would be satisfied being satisfied and never desire to go back. In fact, I, there are people that I connect with who used to go to, in this church, in this church, not other churches, in this community. And they used to go to 12-step groups. And it was good for them. And in fact, it was at those 12-step groups that someone invited them to come to this church. And then they were like, oh man, this is so good. This is so much better than anything I've ever tasted. This is awesome. Jesus fills me. It's not a matter of me working hard. It's a matter of Him working in me outwardly. And there's an incredible blessing in being in Christ. And even through suffering and pain and brokenness and heartache, there's a joy in Christ because He's my Lord and He's my everything. And you could, you could make me sick and on my deathbed and I have Christ to look forward to. Or you can give me riches and health and I have Christ to look forward to. And that Christ is my joy, my all, my everything. It's wonderful. And then they say this. I just don't get it. So I go, so tell me. Are you still making those meetings? And they go, no. <laughs> oh, I know, I know what happened. You were satisfied with being satisfied. You got this incredible news, and you just didn't think to go back into town and tell the rest of the people in the city who were dying. I just don't want that for you. I don't want that for any of you. Some of you are sitting and, and, you know, you have family members, you're going, yep, that's them. They just love being satisfied. And, and you go, and I'm not just, I would just ask you, are you, who, whether you are the, you know, whether you eat your Christian cookies and you dress in your Christian clothing and you listen to your Christian music and you talk your Christianese, or you're like, no, I'm not none of that, I'm not that. Are you, are you keeping this good news? This unbelievable bounty, this thing that satisfies to your toes. Are you keeping it? Are you keeping it to yourself? These men kept it to themselves. They kept it to themselves. They filled themselves up and they hid what they couldn't use for more consumption later. Verse 9. Then they said to each other, I want us to read, well, then they said to each other, 
We're not doing right. Somebody say that with me. We're not doing right. Listen, say it again. We're not doing right. Something started to stir up in their soul. Something started. Like after you, like after you have seconds and thirds, after you've been full and are blessed, after you've been satisfied and are overjoyed, there's something inside that says, we're not doing right. And whatever excuse you give yourself, well, I'm really not walking with the Lord. Then walk with the Lord if that takes. Well, you know, I wouldn't know what to say. Then look silly. Then I don't know their answer. Then be ignorant. But don't keep this good, good news. Could you imagine the person that evening who died of starvation while these guys are gorging on the next meal? Could you imagine what they would say? Like, what would you... Okay. I need you to pay attention for the next few seconds. I love you. And I want to tell you some hard things. And I'm afraid that you won't receive them. So I just, I just want you to receive what I'm about to tell you. It's very... That's my fear for this church. You do not want to be a church. You do not want to be a part of a church. Lord, Lord, I don't want to be a part of a church that is all about us. That it's all about... Well, you know, was it, you know why aren't you going back to church? Well, well, you know, the sermons aren't that good. <laughs> The music's not that great. Or, you know, they didn't return. I just, oh, man. <laughs> Eternity's at stake. Eternity's at stake. Eternity is at stake. I tell, I have a few young people who are in my life who are in college who are kind of vacillating between walking with Christ and not working with Christ. I go, would you just get it together? Would you just go to get it together? Because if your roommate dies, having been your roommate for four years without Christ, man, you got, a, you got some stuff to answer to. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We can't keep the good news. There's a feast laid out for us. And the feast is not the blessing of Christ. The feast is Christ himself. It's him. He says, come, your burden, come. Come. You're, listen, you're, you're, you're way down, come. Come. You're, you're confused, come to me. Come to me. You're hurting? Come to me. You find your identity in how you look? Come. You'll find your identity in me. You find your worship in the arms of, nothing, of, of another lover? No, no, no. Come to me. You just, come to me. So, so, there's this city. There's this city who's dying. They're selling a donkey's head. They don't have any hope. Have you ever went to the... You know what the biggest section in the bookstore is? It's self-help. You know why it's such a big section? Because self-help is no help at all. And they've got to write another book in order to keep people coming. It's, listen to me. There's a world that thinks that it's self-help. And they're, they're dying. They're dying. And their marriages are falling apart. And their kids. Oh man. Their kids. Are, their kids are being. So, anybody see that in the newspaper or in, was it CNN? My wife told me about it. There's a couple who's bringing. They, they just had a newborn baby. And they're raising the child to. They're not telling the child that he's male or female. And they're not telling anybody else if the child is male or female, so that the child could make a decision if he wants to be male or female as he grows older. This, this, is, this is just... 
I think I just I, I just I my prayer is that they put money away for that child's psychologist, you know, psychiatrist, because he's really going to need it. But watch this: the whole world. You know what? You know what? The only type of Christians that the world sees is knuckleheads who go, "Oh yeah, the end of the earth, the end of the world is May 21st." Those are the only ones that they see. They see the ones that are on TV with like Rolex watches saying, "If you send me finances, things will go better for you." It just that's the only, you know what the, the you know the Christians that they, I had a friend who goes, "You know what?" The Christians are just hypocrites. And I was just like, and I just, you know, I, I said, dude, I'm the only Christian you know. What are you saying? <laughs> you, like, you know, I'm the only guy that you know. You don't know any other Christians. Yeah, yeah, but I've met. Name one! Oh, I'm not really met, but I've seen on TV. Oh, oh, okay. I guess. Yeah, if you go on to TV for your opinions. Here's the deal. There's an entire city. It's called earth. And we've been invited into this incredible gift, this wonderful joy in knowing Jesus. And when we get, it's, we're not commanded, I mean, we are commanded, but it's not so much about the command, it's about the, can't, I can't keep it in. It's, you've got to try this rocky road. You gotta, when, I mean, when you, when you go to your meeting and you listen to those that person, share pain, hurt, and suffering. Do you just go, thanks for sharing? There's Jesus to share. When you go to your job and your co-worker is complaining about their marriage, you go, boy, that sounds really painful. Like, is that your response? Is Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you know, I don't... I don't want to seem, you know, like a Jesus freak. I don't want to seem pushy. Are you kidding me? Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Just, just picture this for a second. Could you imagine going to hell to visit your friends and giving them the excuses that you give God about why they're in hell? Could you imagine sharing that? Could you imagine going, oh yeah, Susie, the reason I didn't share with you about Jesus is because I didn't want to invade your space. Like, how good an excuse is that when they're... Are you kidding me? But that's not the way this church has to be. I have better... I have a better hope for this congregation. I know that you guys will share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that you will. I know that you just need a little instruction and a little... Listen, if Christ is at the center and He's so good, of course you want to share because good news, listen to me, good news is too good to keep secret. Then they said to each other, verse 9, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. You know what they said? This is a gospel day. This is a gospel day. This is good news. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal city. You know why they said let's go at once? Because there's not an excuse. There's not an insecurity. There's not an idea. There's not a problem. There's not an obstacle in the world that should prevent these men from waiting one more second one more second than going to the city that's starving to death, that desperately needs to hear about what God has provided. So, they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, look up at me. If you feel insecure about sharing the gospel with somebody, these guys got more reasons than you. These guys, listen, like I said before, they would have to announce if somebody was walking, even if they didn't know him, they just said, unclean, unclean. They would have to announce that uh, with, with the people that they were walking to. So they weren't even allowed into the, they weren't even allowed around people. So they had to do it from the city gate. And so they, they just walked up and they said, 
The Arameans have left. And there's a harvest and a bounty over there. All God has provided everything the city needs. And they couldn't even go. They wanted to tell the king this. You know who they wound up telling? They wound up telling the guy who was at the gate, the gate watcher. You know who the gate watcher wound up telling? He wound up screaming it to somebody else. You know who somebody... They wound up screaming it to somebody else who screamed it to an official, who official told another high-ranking official who told the king. Listen, listen. They didn't have answers. They, didn't have, they just had good news. They just had something that they witnessed in their own lives that filled them and satisfied them to the degree where they couldn't hold it anymore. So they went to the king and said, Listen, guys, oh, it's all solved. All your worries, all your fears, it's solved. Verse 10, so they called out. So they went and they called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went to the Aramean camp and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. Now look up at me. I just got to tell you this quick. This incredible news was carried to somebody who carried it to somebody who carried it to somebody who carried it to somebody who finally got it to the king. And so, and so they don't, these guys we don't see anymore. The king at first won't receive the news. He thinks it's a trap. He thinks what, what, they, what they do is he thinks that the Arameans know that they're such desperate state that the whole town or the whole city will leave the town and so they'll destroy them on the road with no protection. And, and then they'll just take the city. And he goes, no, we're not risking it. And one of the guys on like, the leadership team raised his hand. And he said, um, oh, great king, um, so what's the alternative? Right? Did, right? If we stay here, we starve to death and die. If we go there, we may or we may not die. I got an idea. We got five good horses left. Put five people on them. Let them go to the camp. If it's a trap, they'll die. And who cares? They would have died here. What are we going to do? He sent them out. You know what happens? There's joy in the city. They go. It's not a trap. They come back. The writers come back. And after they get full, right, they come back and they tell us it's just, just the way they said. It's a miracle. God, listen. God made a miracle. And you know what happened? It was just like the prophet had mentioned. Gas sold for 99 cents to the gallon. It was amazing. And you know the guy who doubted the prophet? He said, even if God opened a monsoon of his blessing, could that happen? You know that guy? He was given the duty of guarding the gate to the, to the camp. <laughs> Not so good. And so they, they said, Jose, stay there. And, you know, limit people, you know, just let like 10 people come in at a time. But if you're eating a donkey's head, I'm thinking you're not very rational. You know what happened? They bum-rushed the poor guy and they trampled on him to death. And it happened just the way uh, the prophet said. He saw it, but he never ate. Unbelievable. Here's the deal. And here's... Good news is too good to keep quiet. Will you please? Is there someone in your family that needs to know? Like, is there someone in your family? Is there someone in your apartment complex? Is there someone in your projects? Is there someone on your block? Is there someone at your job? Is there someone at your meeting? Is there someone on the, in the neighborhood? Is there someone in your life? Is there someone on the train? Is there someone that you've just been feasting? You've just been gorging yourself with the good news of Jesus Christ and you just haven't shared it. Here's what Jesus will say as a Christ-centered life. You just overflow with good news. You know what the Christ-centered uh, person says? This is not right that we should keep this news to ourselves. It's not right. And so they share it. So some of you, listen, some of you actually want to share the good news with others. And you just go, you, I don't know how. Well, uh, before I tell you, listen, for those of you who don't know Christ, would you just receive Jesus? Would you just receive Jesus right now? Would you stop making excuses? I'm too old. I'm too young. I still have more things to do. I have plans. Would you just receive Christ? Second, 
Well, let's just... Second, for those of you who want to share Jesus with others, but you're nervous, just so you know, listen to me. Be nervous. Be unsure about what to say. I'm not asking you to have every answer. In fact, you don't have to. You know sometimes what I do in order to start a gospel conversation with people? I go up to them and I say, Hey, can you do me a favor? Can you ask me a really hard question about God? I do that. I've done that with waitresses and waiters. I've done that with people on the train. I've done that. I've done, can you ask me a really hard question about God? And sometimes they're really hard. And I go, I don't know. But how do you feel about Jesus? Because since we're already in this God conversation, we might as well talk about Jesus. And say, Listen, you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to. Let me tell you something. When you're starving and you see gravy on the side of someone's lips, you go, oh yeah, I might want what he's eating. Right? When, when, man, that's how some of you got here. You were just broken. And someone with, with just the joy of the Lord said, hey, why don't you just come to church? Things. So if you want to share the gospel, here's what I got for you. Very fast. First thing I need you to do is pray for God to open the hearts of the people that you're trying to minister. Now the musicians are going to come up. We're going to finish um, pretty soon. Pray for God to open their hearts. This means at every circumstance, at work, wherever you're going, at school, at the job, at the neighborhood, on the train, whatever it is, you're going to go and you're going to go, God, would you give me an opportunity to share your gospel? Would you change their hearts? Would you touch their lives? And so, listen, just a couple of weeks ago, right? And, And again, I'm like you. I'm scared to death. Did I ever tell you the story about how one time God told me to tell, there was a girl who was crying on the L train. I know exactly where it was. It was on the Lorimer Street stop on the L train. And I was going to work and the Lord told me to share the gospel with this girl who was crying. I said, Lord, she's crying. She's going to think I'm hitting on her. I don't feel comfortable sharing with her. I'm not going to do it. So you know what I did? The Lord kept on telling me, share the gospel with her. So I'm like, I don't want to share the gospel. I don't want to share the gospel. Little whiny boy I am. Right? So then I, because I'm like you. I'm scared. I don't know what to say. I don't know. You know, I'm just, I'm confused. I don't know how to share the gospel with other people. So then I go, and since I go on that train every time, I said, Lord, if she goes into my cart, then I'll, then I'll share the gospel with her. But I stationed myself that I knew that where the, you know, where, you know how like you, after you go on trains for a long period of time, you know exactly where the door is going to be. You know where the cart ends. It just, you know, it's not new. So I went inside the train and I got inside the cart. And who illegally, I might add, while the train was still moving, who would you believe walked into my cart? Who do you think it was? It was the girl who was crying. And the Lord said it again. Edwin, share the gospel with her. I sat down and I said, Lord, if she sits next to me, then I'll share the gospel with her. There was a guy sitting next to me. Honestly, he belonged in the Guinness Book of World Records. He was like probably four or five hundred pounds. Huge guy. He took maybe two and a half seats. See, huge person. And so I said, Lord, if she sits next to me. And I'm like, this guy ain't getting up anytime soon. And so I sat there. I sat there. And do you know what happened in Union Square? You won't believe it. He got up. And I was going to 8th Avenue. Three more stops. You won't believe who sat in the chair right next to me, hip to hip. You know who it was? The girl. You know what I did? You know what I did? Nothing. I let her go. I let her go. Criminal. I'm just like you. I'm scared. I'm afraid. God, if you put her in, if you put her in the car, if you have her sit next to me, if you put her hair on fire, then I'll share the gospel with her. Like, what would it take? Listen to me. Listen to me. I know, I know that the gospel got to that girl. I know because the, the Lord is not going to let her eternity rest on a knucklehead like me. But here's what I do know. I don't get any of the joy. I get none of the joy of being able to share the gospel with her. 
I'm sure I will see her in heaven to my shame so that I might be able to apologize to her in maybe one of the roughest times in her life where I could have shared the gospel. I'm not saying this as a person who's like super cool and super good, but let me tell you what happened a week ago. A week ago, uh, two weeks ago maybe, I was told to go to um, jury duty, right? Which is, I'm sure, what purgatory is going to be like, right? And it's like, there's actually no purgatory. Um, that's just a joke. But I went there, and I, this is all I did. I did this one part, pray. I said, God, let me sit next to Let me stand next to Let me be next to somebody who needs to hear the gospel. You make it that way. You do it. And would you believe, I just sat next to this guy who was hurting. He would just gone through some real painful stuff. And we started to share. We're still texting each other. We're still texting each other. I just, hey, what are you doing on Sunday? Buy a pizza. Just, just pray. Would you just pray? Secondly, would you present the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you write that down? Present the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go, I don't know how to share the gospel with people. I don't know how to share it. Here's as simple as this. Here's a presentation. You are worse than you think. And if you disagree with that first statement, take the grimiest thing you've ever done. Get the closest people around you and confess it to them. And if the thought of confessing the grimiest thing you've ever done to the people who are closest to you scares you, then you understand the principle that you are grimier than you think. We all are. Listen. But that's not the whole gospel. The gospel is this. You are worse than you think and more loved by Christ than you can imagine. That God will love you in the midst of your dirt and shame and guilt and stench and grime. That's unbelievable. Free gift. Para ti. It's for you. Pray for God to open their heart. Present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, Invite them to the next step. Would you write that down? Invite. Invite them to the next step. Invite them. That's right. That's a good one. What's the next step for you? Hey, would you like to come to church? Hey, auntie, hey, uncle, hey, brother, hey, sister, hey, friend, hey, co-worker, hey, student, hey, hey, train dweller, whatever. Would you like, would you come? Would you like to come? Hey, home group member, would you like to come? What's the next step? You invite them. Would you imagine? Could you imagine that in the next coming months, there would be people, scores of people, one after the other, who would say, and I was on the train, and, and, and so and so, and they say your name. You're a part of their story. Or they go, you know, I was working next to, I didn't even know she was a Christian, she never told me. But and then she told me, she invited me to church, it's like, wow. And I'm here, and I gave my heart to Christ. Or, or man, I, I had... You know, I know that my mom gave up on me and she just totally, you know, uh, uh, she totally wrote me off. But I don't know what it was. I had nothing to do. And that day she invited me to come to church and that day I gave my heart to Jesus. What, what, what would life be like if your life impacted the eternity of somebody else's life? I don't know. But it would be awesome. That's my dream for you. That you would be a soul-winning church. That you would be any, a life and eternity-changing group of people. That all of the world would never be the same for what he does in this small group of people. It's my prayer for you. So, if you have your yellow cards, I want you to fill out as much as you feel comfortable. Start writing even now. Go ahead and start writing now. But in the back where it says, my decision today, here's what I want. And you can put your prayer request on there. You can put your information, do all that stuff. But where it says, my decision today, if you, if you are going to invite somebody 
to the next service. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, my decision today, I won't keep quiet. That's what I want you to write. If this week you're going to invite someone, and maybe you're going to invite 10 people, maybe you're going to invite 15 people, I, I encourage you to invite the more the merrier. We got room. You're right. I can't keep quiet. And that's my prayer for you, that you not keep quiet. So why don't you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time together. Even as we get ready to take communion, I ask, oh God, that you would move in our hearts and in our lives. That there would be a brokenness, a surrender, a submission. That, Lord, we would be like the lepers who go back to town and go, boy, did we find the goods. Father, I pray. I pray that in Jesus' name there would be a sense. There would be a sense about your grace, about your fullness, about your goodness, about your joy, and that we would so overflow with that, we would share you with others. Make that true for all of us, O oh God. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.